0: Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Leslie Picker. Kramer has the morning off. We are coming off the best day for the Nasdaq since November. All-time highs for the Dow. As we get a final vote on stimulus today, 10-year auction. One in 10 Americans are now fully vaccinated and Texas reopens today. Course CPI runs cool. Our roadmap begins with COVID stimulus in focus. Stocks are set to rally again at the open after Tuesday's tech bounce.
1: Plus, GE is going to sell its leasing unit, its aircraft leasing unit, to Aircap. It's a $30 billion deal. Hear what Larry Culp told me about whether this is the portfolio they'll stick with at GE.
2: Looking forward to that. $30 billion must be the magic number because there's a $30 billion gaming company. Uh, What you need to know as Roblox looks to make its NYSE debut this morning, Carl.
0: Yeah. Luckily, we have you here, Leslie, to help us. (laughs) Get through that. Uh, overall, though, uh, the commentary is going to center, David, uh, around the upside reversal of the trend yesterday. And certainly this core CPI number up one tenth looking for two tenths is going to have somewhat of a soothing effect on those who are worried about rates.
1: No doubt uh, going to, as you point out, uh, the core rate rise, what, 0.1 percent. Again, that was below the estimates. That is going to calm fears of inflation that certainly have been uh, ever present uh, as we've watched very closely the movements of the 10-year yield over these last few weeks, and our broader uh, equity markets have certainly seemed to uh, move on it as well. Uh, Leslie, unclear at this point what it all means, but we've obviously saw we saw a huge move in, in many of the growth names, many of the names that were beaten up yesterday. They all many of them came back. Tesla, we talked about, ended up (laughs) enormously. Uh, The ARC funds, of course, led by Kathy Wood that had been down, given all of the uh, high growth names she includes in there, had an incredibly strong day yesterday. But unclear whether, of course, that will be maintained. You can see, though, where we're opening right now, given, again, what Carl just said, in terms of at least muted expectations so far.
2: Yeah. But as you mentioned, came back with a vengeance yesterday. It's almost surprising how binary this market feels, you know, on days where you see some of the more value oriented names uh, doing well. Those growth names struggle and vice versa. Uh, Obviously, you've seen a little bit of this for a while now. And and interestingly, Bloomberg notes that I think this was before yesterday's yesterday's gains. uh, They say that value investing wipes out pandemic losses with 100 billion dollars dollar gain since the start of november so guys we hear value investors they've been lamenting that it's just a difficult environment for value investors i think i've been hearing this for about 10 years now uh you know anytime someone says that we can we can point to these statistics at least in the near term and say hey things have been pretty good over the last four months right carl
0: yeah uh definitely trying to make our way through some of these transitions b of a 's got a good note this morning guys uh, that basically says dust off what they 're now calling the mid cycle playbook in which you would fade the home builders, buy the industrials. Uh, what ends that process in their words, David uh, when good inflation turns into bad inflation, uh, but they do warn that that phase could go a lot longer than what is typically about a nine-month period. So definitely some uh, playbook adjustment, which we'll get to uh, in more detail later in the hour. Uh, We do, though, David, have to get to the GE news, which is uh, big for aviation, uh, potentially big for regulation, and I can't wait to hear what Culp told you.
1: Yeah, well, I had an opportunity to, uh, to interview Larry Culp earlier this morning prior to what's a big day for them, not just this announcement, Carl, but they have an investor day as well. Uh, They actually thought they might have announced the transaction, I think, a day or two earlier, but they're all on the same day. Let's get to the deal itself, though. Uh, And again, the journal had told us some of the details potentially in reporting on it uh, over the weekend. Um, But the main headline is 30 billion bucks. That's 24 billion in cash. They'll also own 46 percent of the combined company. And then there's another billion that will be paid in air cap notes or cash on closing as well and most if not all of it is going to be used by GE to pay down debt you know they've been on this effort over years now to reduce what was a back-breaking debt load at the company that Larry Culp of course took over uh what two plus years ago uh and um uh, and to reduce the risk at GE Capital. Uh, a multi-year effort is what they call it to reduce that risk at GE Capital. They feel that now is the time to take advantage of an opportunity to do this deal with AirCap, to get those proceeds, to reduce debt, and basically to make GE Capital now just another line item uh, as opposed to its own unit in terms of the way they report things. That's an important moment for this company. Take a listener, Mr. Culp discussing the transaction that they've announced this morning.
3: This really marks the transformation of the company into a more focused, simpler and stronger GE. We're going to be able to focus on our core four industrial businesses aimed at the energy transition, precision health care in the future of flight. And there's no question that we're going to be a stronger company going forward financially and operationally.
1: Uh, they are still talking about taking leverage overall, that is leverage to uh, net debt over EBITDA to as low as Less than two and a half times. That's for consolidated industrial businesses, which is what the company is going to be at this point uh, by 2023. So they're not there yet. He continues to talk about being on this path to being a well capitalized company. uh, And I did ask him about that as well. But as I said, this is also their investor day. So they're going to be speaking more broadly about their 2021 outlook, including what is uh, estimates for free cash flow at the company that are pretty wide. Take a listen.
3: We're early in the recovery, right? There's still a great deal of uncertainty as to the path, uh, particularly around our aviation business. So some might say that's a conservative guide. We think it's appropriate given what we know and don't at, uh, at this point in time. We'll reiterate today, again, our view that we can be a high single digit uh, cash generator, cash margins on the business. As we go forward over the next few years.
1: And they are talking about free cash flow of two and a half to four and a half billion dollars, Leslie, for 2021. That's an outlook they did share when they reported earnings in late January, although we haven't obviously had an opportunity to talk to Mr. Culp uh, since then. We didn't talk to him around that 15 to 25 cents a share in EPS. And again, trying to get margins up the renewable business in particular where they've got negative margins right now.
2: Yeah. And it sounds like they're, they're looking to really benefit from the upside here since, uh, you know, cash and stock deal. GE is expected to own 46 percent of the combined company. Uh, so, you know, an interesting structure for this deal. And as you mentioned, and, and as you, uh, you know, really were able to, to pull out of Culp, uh, you know, this is going to be a much more streamlined GE. The The point is really to help pay down that debt. But you know, still capitalize on the upside of, of this growing uh, area of, of the industrials market.
1: Yeah. And Carl, you know, the, the story they're pitching to investors today is we are now uh, focused on tier one businesses in power, renewables, aviation and health care. And that's what we are. Yeah. And you don't have to be concerned about some sort of tail risk at GE Capital any longer. We have dealt with it. We are reducing debt significantly. We will continue to. And it's all going to be about just continuing to try to have those businesses perform well and or at least perform a lot better. They've kind of gotten power back on some sort of track, renewables, uh, and obviously aviation is dependent on how things go in that industry. And healthcare has done quite well. So uh, the stock not up in part because it did already react, as I said, to the potential of this deal after it was reported over the weekend. Uh, and GE shares had been up in recent trading. They are also doing a, a one for eight reverse split. Mm. So suddenly GE is going to be closer to uh, 100 bucks a share. <laughs> won't, you know, won't affect anything really. But obviously they do. Uh, it does affect the share count, uh, Carl. So uh, GE a feature today. We'll have more from uh, Mr. Culp as well as we go along this morning.
0: Yeah, Uh getting... The share count uh, to a number, I guess, that they said is more typical of companies with comparable market cap. I did see a couple headlines, David, about uh, the International Air Transport Association having concerns about regulatory issues. I I imagine that is somehow related to the way the deal, upon closing, uh, in which it would have impacts on jet, uh, jet prices.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I did not really get into a conversation with him. We'll monitor things and bring them to you if we hear anything specific on antitrust and their concerns. About it. Remember, they will uh, be at 46%. They're going to sell this over time, not right away. Called, essentially saying, listen, we're not going to obviously sell anything until things turn in aviation. But the plan here is to over time monetize the stake in uh, AirCap. They do have two board seats as well, but this is not going to be a GE managed company.
0: Uh, meanwhile, uh, you mentioned the tailwind that aviation is giving to the company in general. I did see David American uh, Airlines is upsizing that bond offer, which we've talked about last couple of days. If you haven't made your vacation plans yet, I don't know if you just saw this crossing. Norwegian says that the Oceana cruise line saw the record for the most individual bookings in a single day. So these load factors are going to change as, as we said, vaccination rates uh, get higher. Uh, stimulus uh, rolls in, yelling on the tape yesterday, Leslie talking about getting those checks out as quickly as possible. That's going to have big implications for travel.
2: Yeah. And it's remarkable because so far in the IPO market, we've really seen companies that have been resilient in the pandemic, companies that have this story around the fact that, you know, the economy was closed down, but we served a role and we helped people get goods or or find a way to occupy their time. And yet we're starting to see more companies come out that play into this reopening trade. You mentioned airlines, Frontier Airlines, Sun Country Airlines going public. I don't know if that's a signal for the fact that people believe that the market uh, sees these companies as poised to benefit. But it's, you know, it's remarkable because you look at these companies coming out. They've got, you know, half the revenue last year that they did the year before, obviously due to the pandemic. But the story for them now is, you know, here we're coming. People are going to start traveling again. You know, this is this is the company to buy right now. And I just think it's a remarkable kind of. Turn in uh, at least the IPO market. And it, it says a lot about the potential for investor sentiment to really, um, you know, welcome these types of companies. If, if that's what happens, it's unclear, but it's just, a, you know, a, an interesting data point showing that at least these companies believe that the timing is now to go public.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, the capital market has been quite generous, as you know. Listen, the U- airlines have benefited from government assistance, Uh, But and and American has raised copious amounts of of debt and equity all along the way. But, Carl, if if I told you one year ago that the stock would be up 27 percent, knowing what we knew even a year ago at this point, uh, it's hard to imagine that would have been the performance of American Airlines. But there it is, uh, up 27 percent over the last 12 months. Now, a lot of that has been made up recently, 20 percent gain over the last three months.
0: Uh, unbelievable. And, um, you know, I keep thinking of Kramer and GameStop and situations in which a company is benefiting from a higher price and and not necessarily using it to their advantage in the way of raising capital. But the airlines, David, have not made that mistake, (laughs) if we're going to call it a mistake. They have not. Pretty unbelievable capital raises uh, out of travel. A lot to get to this morning, guys. Uh, we want to cover some of what Disney said yesterday about 100 million subs for the first time. Really, not the closing the gap with Netflix, uh, some price target increases on DraftKings, major calls on Apple today. And, of course, we'll get that stimulus vote in the House somewhere a little before noon. We're back in a minute.
4: Let's get straight to the point.
2: Welcome back. The House is in session as lawmakers get ready to vote on the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. Elon Moy joins us now with the latest. Elon.
5: Well, Leslie, the House did just reconvene and lawmakers are about to begin debate on the COVID relief package. One thing that we're expecting is for the final vote to start around noon, but Republicans could try to delay that. No GOP lawmakers are supporting this bill. Instead, they've been hammering Democrats over projections that show some of the relief money won't be spent for years. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy tweeted the White House and Democrats have abandoned any pretense of unity, opting instead to jam through a two trillion dollar liberal wish list that showers money on blue states and foreign countries, but spends just nine percent actually to combat the virus. Of course, Democrats are calling their bill historic and transformative. In addition to the stimulus checks and a boost in jobless benefits, it also includes $350 billion in aid to state and local governments, $125 billion for K-12 public schools, $48 billion for COVID testing and response, $7.5 billion directly to the CDC for vaccine distribution, and $7.25 billion to expand the PPP. Yesterday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was asked if this would be Congress's last COVID relief package. Here's what she said.
1: You're just going to have to ask the virus if it stops mutating, if it stops spreading and therefore mutating, then uh, this will be we will have legislation to address it for as long as it's there. So, guys,
5: this would be the sixth piece of legislation to address the pandemic. And I think I speak for everyone when we say that nobody wants a seventh. Back to you.
2: Yolan, what does this mean for, uh, you know, the potential for infrastructure? I know a lot of people have been looking at, you know, getting the stimulus package kind of behind us, assuming the vote goes through today. Uh, You know, does that mean we can turn our attention now to infrastructure? And how does a $1.9 trillion number impact the likelihood of getting a significant infrastructure plan going?
5: Yeah, so I think those conversations are just now starting to happen, Leslie. Um, the White House has said that it is talking with lawmakers, trying to figure out what exactly would go into the bill. Infrastructure is a sort of broadly defined term. You've heard the president talk about, for example, electric vehicle charging stations being a part of that in addition to your traditional roads and bridges, highways, etc. You're hearing other Democrats talk about uh, having recurring stimulus payments as a part of the next infrastructure package or extending <laughs> Unemployment benefits. So, you know, there's a lot of cats and dogs that could be included in the next big package. Um, but I do think that there is going to be some um, maybe discomfort on the part of moderate Democrats to accept a multi trillion dollar package on the heels of a nearly two trillion dollar package um, that, again,
0: a lot of folks are saying some of the money is not being very well targeted. Bipartisan COVID relief bills last year Elon, we'll um, wait to see how the vote uh, timeline happens later on today. Uh, with your help, I'd say our Elon Moy in Washington uh, brings to mind a note that B of a writes this morning as uh, Savita Subramanian, uh, David, says Biden is, quote, likely to use the health of the people and the economy rather than the U.S. stock market as a barometer of success his administration is so far focused on correcting inequities across income, race and gender. Uh, they go on to say that historically, at least, that has benefited discount over luxury, which we'll keep in mind uh, with, mm. through a stock lens. But to Elon's earlier point, um, it is going to raise some criticism that, for example, all that state and local money will go to help cities that uh, certain uh, jurisdictions will argue have been mismanaged over time and made poor decisions.
1: Yeah, that was, listen, that was an argument. Uh, we heard it many times. of The Republicans certainly calling out what they call the the blue states and, uh, and, and saying that. Unclear if that's the case. But $350 billion, a lot of money. I think tax revenues have come in uh, at a higher level than many had anticipated. They would, certainly even in states like California and surprisingly New York. Um, but, Carl, we'll have to see. You know, overall, though, and you track this. Uh, I mean, these GDP estimates that we're starting to get for 2021 are pretty significant. Oof. I mean, numbers that we haven't seen since, what, 1984?
0: Yeah, 83 would be. Um, so the journal did a survey of economists for the full year uh, looking at 5.9, which would be the fastest since 83. Uh, but remember, OECD yesterday said um, six five. For the U.S. and more broadly, Leslie, they're talking about the U.S. being this incredible engine of growth. For the whole world, that's all right. because of a stimulus package that was narrowly passed because of a couple Senate seats that came down to a special election here or there.
2: Yeah, that's remarkable. They do note, however, that the rise in U.S. Treasury yields could spark capital flight from emerging markets. We've been talking about that on our air quite a bit over the last few days, just the, the overall ripple effects of what we're seeing here these days. But certainly remarkable that six and a half percent potential expansion in 2021. And the fact that it's, it's driving uh, the entire global expansion or expected to drive the global expansion um, over the course of the year. Just just a remarkable uh, change from what we were talking about about a year ago, Carl.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a look at the 10-year uh, just south of 155. We'll take a break here. Uh, judging from futures, uh, the Dow looks like it might get above the closing record high uh, back on February 24. Not quite a all-time high, but we'll watch it. Uh, they, feed, they definitely are green. We're back after a break. People today can spend
6: half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah. or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools
0: gamestop has not seen 270 since the first day of february uh, but that's about where it looks to open this morning as uh, some of the Reddit names that we covered uh, in such detail weeks ago uh, see gains across the board. Costs up 44 percent pre-market. More squawk on the street and the opening bell in about six minutes. However, I'm going to step out on a limb here.
7: Uh, this I is re- the big hold I, on. I, everyone. We've I, been I, waiting I for think this. we're at a
0: bottom. I really do. Hmm. I wish we played the whole thing. That's 12 years ago today on Squawk on the Street. Our late colleague Mark Haynes calling what we've now called uh, the Haynes bottom. Uh, Since then, the S&P is up a cool 470 percent. David, the the, the full soundbite talks about his thinking behind that call. He said this was for real. This would have legs. But it basically centered around the 200-day moving average of the S&P, which at that point, uh, the S&P was 67 percent, I think, uh, of that. So uh, in his view that this was time to buy and, man, he was almost perfectly
1: right. Yeah, it's hard to get a call that would be that good. I mean, if you if you listen to it <laughs> and you just said, OK, I'm done for the next 12 years, not paying any attention. You'd be in pretty good. Uh, you'd be in pretty good shape. Uh, it was, uh, you know, Carl, of course, uh, 12 years. It just it, it's hard to imagine. Uh, but you've got to remember where we were 12 years ago coming well, I mean, hitting bottom, what, 666 and the S&P. Uh, we were just talking about GE. Remember, GE shares were trading then at around, what, three bucks. We were worried about Polish mortgages, I think, that the company had made out of GE yep. Capital. I mean, on and on and on. The financial system, of course, was the key concern then. So different from what we've dealt with over this last year, where we really never did question the, uh, the, the underpinnings of the financial system because the Fed and the Treasury moved so fast almost a year ago now. Uh, but, uh yeah, that was quite something that hanes bottom
0: yeah um... Yeah, just uh, you're right. It sort of leaves you speechless. Uh, and, of course, uh, I try to retweet the clip all, all, every year, uh, and uh, viewers definitely respond and, and miss Mark uh, as we all do. It sort of makes me wonder, David, what he would be saying about so many uh, developments that have happened since his passing, namely um, the uh, the surge in, in SPACs, uh, the way in which some of these – he would have a field day with some of these Reddit trades. It does remind me, by the way, uh, more SPACs on the list today, Leslie Branson – Uh, looking to raise about half a billion under a new Virgin Group acquisition corp that would center on health and wellness and travel and leisure. So that trend continues.
2: It continues despite the recent sell-off that we've seen, both in SPACs that have priced and have yet to find a deal, as well as SPACs that have found a deal. Investors are really shunning just anything that has to do with SPACs in the last few weeks. Uh, So it is quite surprising that we are seeing this continued churn. Perhaps there is a sense among people who want to do a SPAC that If you're going to do it, you better do it now because this window may not be open forever. Uh, That's kind of the sense I'm getting just talking with people that, you know, people that the market is open to these types of things, although they're starting to get more skeptical. So how long can this party continue? That is a dialogue that I know we've been having a lot. It's going on behind the scenes as well. Um, and, you know, as you do start to see investors losing money in some of these recent deals, then that's when you get more hesitation to put additional money in to SPACs and, and to the sector as a whole. Carl.
0: Uh, yeah. By the way, as of yesterday, uh, blank check deal volumes or SPAC mergers uh, record $170 billion. Uh, that already strips last year's total of 157 billion that's from Refinitiv uh, data yesterday there's the opening bell at the big board it is video game platform Roblox celebrating its direct listing at the Nasdaq it's a PWP forward acquisition corp a blank check company led by and focused On women. Leslie, I am curious to know about your thoughts behind the direct listing. It hasn't Mm. been uh, an army of companies that have chosen that, but Palantir and Slack, two big examples, and certainly this will be another.
2: Yeah. And Roblox initially didn't choose a direct listing. They had every intention of going public through a traditional IPO back in December. Uh, and what's remarkable about that is they looked at the IPOs of other Silicon Valley, uh, venture backed companies and, and, how they were performing in the aftermarket. Uh, usually you get a little skittish around the traditional IPO process when other IPOs are performing poorly. In this case, it was the Airbnb and the DoorDash IPO that really spooked the company. That's according to sources I've spoken with around this one. Uh, And they said, we don't want to see our stock soar like this because we're worried about what it might mean for employees uh, who had the option of selling some of their shares at the IPO price, looking at the opportunity cost of what might happen if that stock soared. So instead, they decided to... Hunt the listing. They did a private placement back in January that valued this company at 30 billion dollars instead opting for a direct listing, which, you know, kind of do, does away with a lot of this, uh, you know, back and forth with the roadshow, trying to find an IPO price, allocating shares to, you know, a, a concentrated, hopefully, if it's a good deal, concentrated group of, of long-only mutual funds. That's usually the goal among uh, the underwriters. Uh, and instead opted for a direct listing, which will be interesting um, to see, David, today. Because, yeah. you know, obviously GameStop has been, uh, you know, the... Darling of, of the retail investor. Uh, Here is another gaming-oriented company. Obviously, totally different business model, uh, but fits totally. into that that whole kind of gaming mentality. Um, you know that has really attracted a lot of people to GameStop.
1: Yeah. What comes to mind, uh, actually, Leslie, though, is Palantir, uh, yeah. which was the last major direct listing, uh, and also has become mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a favorite in some ways. We know that stock. Um, you can take a look. It's it's been on a bit of a of a roller coaster ride. As we take a look at GameStop shares, I mean 278. Yet, yet again making those moves. But take a look at Palantir because I do mention it, Leslie. You covered that closely as well. A direct listing. Listen, you've got to find the selling shareholders as well that you need. Um, but uh, but that is interesting to watch in terms of its performance, which as you see, it hit as high as almost what 40 bucks a share being priced i forget where did that where did that hit do you remember leslie i
2: don't remember, yeah, I their, reference remember their reference price. remember where the reference
1: price was uh, it was far lower um and, and carl you were asking about spax you, you know you uh, perella weinberg's latest their sponsor of that's back as well that was ringing the bell there it's a uh we've got a, a number of these now a, a form to combine with a growth business that is led by or founded by women uh, and a business that enriches women's lives is what they're talking about. And by the way, Perella Weinberg, which is a sponsor of that SPAC, is actually going public through Betsy Cohen SPAC. So it soon will be a fully public company when it de-SPACs, Carl. But uh, there's a look at our SPAC 50. There are a number of these that have announced deals that are trading closer to 10. And that does at least create uh, potential upside because, you know, you're going to get 10 if you redeem. Right. And so... Well, why not give it a shot if you believe in the business model for some of the names, not overall? There's the poster you can see still up still up a good deal. But, but Leslie, there is that opportunity on well, some of these names.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen some interesting trading involving SPAC. So I think part of the way you can look at what's been going on over the past two weeks is just trying to really shake out some of the froth that's been in these names, uh, setting it back toward their net asset value. I mean, I know you and I have talked about how some of these SPACs are trading at less than $10, which also doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, given that you can redeem at $10. There is the aspect of time value of money here. Um, So, you know, if you believe that this SPAC won't find a merger anytime soon, perhaps you feel like it's, you know, two years away, the maximum amount of time away, you might sell it down. But yeah, a lot of interesting trading that's been going on, uh, but seems to be finding kind of closer to that $10 NAV level, Carl.
0: Yeah. Uh, S&P 3900 once again here. Pretty broad-based gains, guys. Uh, just about every sector uh, this morning is green, except for uh, utilities. Uh, keep your eye on Apple this morning. A few different cross-currents. Uh, the first one is that Wedbush, uh, Dan Ives, adds it to Best Ideas, uh, says they've been doing channel checks in Asia, and that uh, this is hard to believe, but uh, he does said that, that based on the checks, the potential for 240 million to 250 million units in fiscal 22 uh, is possible, which even he admits would be an eye-popping figure. Uh, That's sort of offset by some headlines out in Nikkei today, David, uh, that argue, at least on the iPhone 12 mini, uh, they're bringing some production levels down in the first half, which we see, we seem to get those kinds of headlines out of Nike often. But certainly, if uh, if Ives is directionally uh, correct, that would be an upside surprise for at least the production. Uh, of, of what Apple's putting together and what, and what Ives continues to call a super cycle.
1: Yeah. And the stock, of course, performed quite well yesterday, along with the broader market, as you might expect, although, as you point out down today, despite the fact that the Nasdaq up another one percent. And I'm taking a look at Tesla because it is a tell oftentimes coming back to basically even on the year uh, is Tesla uh, yeah. back to a 674 billion dollar market value. Of course, shareholders in GE would love to get any Anywhere near a number like that, uh, As the stock is down 4 percent. But it is a focus this morning after announcing this large transaction to combine its airplane aircraft leasing uh, business, uh, which called GCAS, with uh, Irish company Aircap. The proceeds that we're talking about, well, roughly 30 billion, 24 billion uh, in cash and then a 46 percent ownership stake in the combined company, obviously, it's going to be a while till it closes. But uh, in speaking to uh, Chairman and CEO Larry Culp earlier uh, this morning, he kept talking about a path to uh, to uh, a well-capitalized company. And I did ask him, well, how far along are you now after this transaction on that path?
3: The beauty of the transaction is those cash proceeds will allow us to pay down debt. And when we get to closing, we will, in fact, have reduced our debt over the last several years here at GE by over $70 billion. Job one has been deleveraging. We're going to be well on our way toward that well-capitalized uh, position that we that we aim to. With respect to the equity, we uh, would never sell this company at this point in the aviation cycle. But by owning nearly half of the company, we get to... Uh, ride the uh the business going forward but there will be a time where we uh we exit the position
1: this is a company whose history prior to your taking over was certainly not the best when it came to both buying assets and divesting them at least at the proper prices so when we go back to this transaction and look at what you're getting in terms of the consideration how you're valuing the overall business here why should your shareholders feel like you're getting a good deal
3: Well, I think a GE shareholder should be delighted with this transaction. With a $30 billion headline, what we're able to do here is bring cash in, again, 24 of cash, a billion of of additional consideration, which will allow us to put that toward additional debt reduction. And at the same time, we get an equity stake in nearly half of the combined company. Again, so we're not selling, today. What we're really doing is merging these companies, investing, if you will, in a stronger aviation leasing platform. Over time, we'll monetize that equity stake, but we wouldn't have done that today. But this gives us an opportunity to invest in a stronger platform and over time realize those proceeds. But again, I think the real story for the GE shareholder is less about the transaction today and what it triggers for us to be that that simpler, stronger GE going forward.
1: There are those who would still say, I look at aviation and I look at health care, and they don't necessarily seem to me to be great synergies between the two, that there may still be more that Mr. Culp can do to pare down this portfolio. Uh, are you done, Larry? David, as you know, I'm a
3: lifelong student of the Japanese concept of Kaizen, continuous improvement. And when you have that mindset, you're never done. But I think today is really about putting our GCAS business in a position to succeed in a way that serves all GE shareholders. We get to pivot toward that transformation with a a more focused, a simpler GE in mind. And over time, we're gonna be focused on continuing to improve the performance of our underlying businesses. And as we do that, we will of course generate more strategic optionality, but I think today is really a focus on, on the businesses. And I'm excited to have a chance for everyone to see the CEOs up close, see what they're doing with their businesses and where they're headed.
1: A lot of those CEOs will be presenting uh, right now, actually, uh, Leslie, as they uh, continue to have their investor day, uh, you know, whether it's gas power, the power portfolio, renewable energy, aviation, aviation services, healthcare, care and uh, and on from there. But GE Capital not going to be as much of a concern, at least in the in the hopes and uh, and the actions given that have been taken by Mr. Uh, Mr. Cole.
2: I wonder if you start to see additional companies trying to pare back their debt load in the face of potential rising rates. This is really the first big example that we've seen of deal making happening around, you know, that theme of of reducing debt. Obviously GE has been on that path as you mentioned for a while now. It's just looking back in 2017. I mean, it's like 100 100- Yeah. billion worth of debt, Um, now down to 75, presumably closer to 50 after this deal is done. But I wonder if you do start to see those conversations start happening as debt becomes less cheap. Do we try and, you know, commence some type of transaction that could help us reduce that debt load, you know, while we still can? uh, Or is it that corporate America believes that this is just a temporary blip uh, in yields moving higher and it's not really worth doing a transaction right now? I don't know. I don't know what that answer is. But, um, you know, this this deal kind of made me think of
1: yeah, no, how it's, that's changing. It's an interesting the mindset. point. Obviously, floating versus fixed becomes important for those who are considering the balance sheet as well and what they've got out there. Mm-hmm. And again, we haven't had that big a move. I mean, historically, we are still at extraordinarily cheap money, uh, Carl. But uh, for GE, they had some unique pressures, as you well know, on them, given um, both realized and perhaps uh, liabilities that had not yet been fully realized until the last few years.
0: Uh, yeah, the long-term care stuff, um, very, very large, uh, difficult chip to turn, uh, David. But what an enlightening set of interviews from Culp today and, and from Immelt a couple of weeks ago. It uh, really gives you a sense of just how dramatic the transformation has been. Yeah. Uh, Ten-year 154, uh, busy morning setting up. Let's get to Rick
7: Santelli. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Well, we had some data this morning. Yes, we did. We had February CPI. And the fact of the matter is, is that it was basically as expected. You could argue that core was 0.1 instead of 0.2. But there was a very large market reaction. Now, as you look at intraday tens, we made our spike low yield high price at 153 on that data. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. It was really what Joe Kernan asked me this morning nasdaq equities spiked rather aggressively and that makes sense because they're looking at the antagonist to both growth and value stocks really is higher interest rates we could argue one more than the other but the point is as you look at two weeks of 10 that looks to me like we're starting to roll over a little bit look at that two-week chart now you might be saying, scratching your head, what is he looking at that makes him think we're going to roll over a little bit? I'll tell you what I'm looking at. What all traders that ever traded in the pit of Chicago board trade used to love to look at, of course, and that is the knob spread. And we'll get to that in a minute. I want you to see how important this 153 level may be. Here's a mid-Feb chart. That spike right in the middle of the chart was a 153 close. That was 25th of February. Right before the Fed meeting, and if you look at every major sovereign across the world, you'll find that most of them just couldn't take out that high to the upside. We did. We're coming back below it, losing a bit of momentum there. We can see that relative to other sovereigns. Tens were really leading the way. Let's go back to that now. Here's a year to date, notes over bond. 30-year bond minus 10-year note yields. It's gone from 85 to 71 in basically nine sessions. This is a huge move. And many look to this particular yield curve spread to give us an idea how much horsepower there's still left on the long-dated Treasury rates. And at least according to this, for now, it doesn't mean it's the end of all upside moves, because I doubt that. But we might be consolidating to visit some lower levels. Finally, the dollar index. It seems a foregone conclusion that it went up because rates went up. I would agree with that. But that in the grand scheme of things, we're going to see rates and the dollar both being more in the sell camp. This 20-year chart argues against that. It certainly looks like this 90 level is going to hold into the future, at least based on long-term technicals. Carl, back to you.
0: All right, Rick. Thank you, Uh, Rick Santelli. When we come back, uh, Sonos has been on a bit of a tear. Shares of the speaker maker up about 270 percent from a year ago. We're going to talk to CEO Patrick Spence about his company's growth strategy, this new uh, remote uh, speaker. In the meantime, uh, Dow is about 20 points away from a fresh all time high. Don't go away. Take a look at the Dow 30 heat map. Uh, we hit a intraday high just as we went to commercial at uh, 32, 150 and change. Uh, the components that are red, definitely on the defensive side, UNH, Walmart, Procter & Gamble, Apple. We're back in a minute. Shares of Sonos rallying over 60% this year alone. Just yesterday, the company announced the launch of its first ever portable speaker at an investor meeting, another post-IPO first for the company. For an inside look at the strategy this year, we're joined in a first on CNBC interview with the CEO of Sonos, Patrick Spence. Patrick, welcome back. Always good to have you.
8: Thanks, Carl. Good morning.
0: I want to get to the Rome speaker and sort of what it says about uh, innovation and the way in which people are going to start leaving the house. But the revenue uh, target for fiscal twenty-four uh, is pretty aggressive. Can you talk about that?
8: Yeah, you know, and and yesterday was a big day, not only launching a new product, but also. We really wanted to share our long-term view. Uh, You know, a lot's changed over the last year. Um, Obviously, uh, as you mentioned, you know, investors have sat up and taken notice. But I also believe that we're just getting started uh, with this opportunity. So yesterday was really about laying out this opportunity. We think there is a ton of opportunity ahead. We looked at it in multiple ways. We helped investors with how to think about the category. And so we feel very good about uh, the targets that we set for three years out and all uh, increased from where we were before in terms of long-term guidance. So we feel very good about the future.
0: You know, for a lot of companies, um, for example, Campbell's Soup today, amazing uh, results last year, this morning, they're acknowledging the comps are going to be tough. That's been the narrative for companies that have sold goods that go into the home, like Staples, and to some degree, electronics. Is the Rome an attempt to follow Americans as mobility improves post-pandemic?
8: Absolutely, Carl. So it's a product that really, you know, is perfect as the world reopens, and people want to bring that great experience that they've had from Sonos with them, right, as they gather. Um, So we think this opens up a whole new opportunity uh, for us. And we talked yesterday about the fact that, you know, today we have about 25 million people around the world using Sonos products and services. And really what we want to do is get over 100 million people doing that. We think that's possible over the next few years. And we have a roadmap to get us there. And that's why we feel so confident. So, yes, we were born in the home. We've been there for 19 years. You know, we've also weathered, uh, you know, a number of economic disruptions over time. And because of the strength of our model, the strength of our system and the strength of our great products, we've been able to grow through that entire time. And so we feel good, you know, uh, if the world's in a situation where we go back outside and things change a bit, we still think we have a, a lot of strength and a lot of opportunity for the future.
1: Yeah, you mentioned it being in the home. I've got it as well. Uh, And I noticed Sonos Radio uh, recently I've sort of been experimenting with. What kind of user are you looking for? What's the strategy there? I mean, I'm not paying for it as far as I'm aware. Uh, I don't know if it becomes or is already a paying service at some tier. But Patrick, give us a sense as to what you're seeing.
8: Yeah, thanks, David. So, There is both the ad-supported, which everybody gets when they get their Sonos, um, and it is our third most used service today, Um, so it's shot up the charts there. Uh, People are loving it. But we recently introduced a pay-for tier as well, which um, allows you even higher-definition audio. And as well, bring some exclusive stations. So around the holiday period, we had Dolly Parton do a couple of exclusive stations. Bjork just launched one, FKA Twigs. And we really think it complements all the great services already on the Sonos platform. So we have 100 music services and podcast, audiobook services on the platform, um, and those are getting great use. And so we're seeing customers use something like Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon Music in addition to Sonos Radio or Sonos Radio HD. Um, So we're excited about that. We think it fits a really, really nice niche with our customers and the kind of people we appeal to. Again, it complements the great on-demand services that we all know and love as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, Now, for those who have uh, speakers installed under S1, under your old system, I mean, how many software engineers do you have? I'm constantly getting updates, which is great. But at the same time, (laughs) you always wonder, are you going to continue to support older versions of the software as well for those people who have You know speakers stuck into the wall as oftentimes is the case
8: yeah that's a great point so you know two-thirds of our engineering team is on the software side and actually yesterday at the investor event what i talked about is sonos is really a story of software eating audio right so we go back to mark Andreessen and him talking about software eating the world that's really been our story and how we've disrupted the space so a big chunk of our people is on the software side it's our magic we have accelerated those updates so we're making the service better over time um, and, you know, th- we also create the longest lasting products that are out there. So, you know, there are products from 2005 that people are still using on S1. If they want to move up and enjoy, you know, some of the new features and functionality, that's what S2 is for. Um, so we will have those transitions from time to time. But again, you know, that, we did that last year after 15 years of shipping products. So th- this is something that is almost unheard of in consumer electronics, how long we, we you know, we make our products last.
2: So, Patrick, just quickly, because I know we're running out of time here, I'm curious where you see the potential in autos. I know that on Tuesday, yesterday, you uh, mentioned the partnership you're, you have with Audi and its SUV. You know, how do you see the potential there for uh, installing additional sound systems, additional partnerships, and so forth?
8: Yeah, thanks, Leslie. So, you know, w- what we showed yesterday is the fact that um, we're only right now about 7% penetrated in the $18 billion premium home audio segment. But there's even more opportunity ahead as we do things like Rome, and then we do Auto, which get us into the $90 billion uh, TAM of the, the whole audio market. And that's where we want to play. We want to be the sound experience leader and we want to be in all aspects of your life. And so we're super excited to start that journey in Auto with uh, Audi, with Audi uh, and do it with the Q4 Etron. Uh, but we're just getting started there.
0: Patrick, we always like to talk supply chain. We'll have to save it for next time. Uh, Appreciate it. Good to see you.
1: Patrick Spence. Good to see you too, Carl. Thank you. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today
6: can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.